Well, we turn now to God's Word. We're up to Mark chapter 16, and we're going to look at the first nine verses of Mark chapter 16 as we finish off our sermon series. Uh, Next week, we're going to be starting on the book of Galatians and, and moving through that wonderful letter week by week. This is the resurrection. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. So we, we're going to sing Christ the Lord is Risen today because it deserves to be sang more than once a year. So, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it was... It was a little bit strange thinking about resurrection and thinking about Easter when I wrote this sermon on September 11th. Uh, you know, the, the memory, 18 years, 18, none of us who were alive can believe that it's been 18 years since that terrible, that terrible day. Um, I was a senior in college, at Calvin College, and it was wonderful to be surrounded by other believers who you know, brought out the scriptures, who reminded us of, of God's promise even in dark times, who helped us to, to lament the, the darkness and the tragedy in the world. And when, when Lily and I moved to New York City a few years later, that was absolutely surreal. You know, to live a mile, mile and a half from the World Trade Center, from Ground Zero... And every fire department you walked by in our neighborhood had a sign, a plaque of the fire department, uh, firemen that had given their lives on September 11th. Uh, Our neighbor, there was two apartments on each floor, and our neighbor just across the hall, she had lost her brother on 9-11 as a fire department fireman. And every long-term New Yorker that you talked to knew someone that, that had perished on that day. So September 11, 2001 is this day that all of us remember, you know, we know where we were, we remember hearing about it, and it really is a before and an after. You know, before September 11th, pre-9-11, post-9-11. The world and certainly our country changed so much because of the actions of that day. But even into, even into unspeakable grief and tragedy, there is hope. 
And the story of Easter brings that. Uh, I, saw, I saw that personally in my time in New York as people began to rebuild and as the city came together and as the churches grew stronger in the years following that. But that there is, that there's life after death. That there's light after the darkness. That there's, there's hope from the ashes comes, comes life. And that Jesus Christ, as we see in this passage, he's the firstborn from the dead. That everybody who is in Christ, that everybody that trusts in him, is going to be raised just as he, he was. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is the first fruit of what is coming. So he's that, you know, that first bit uh, that, that, po- that pops out from the ground. But we're all coming behind him. It's just a matter of time. Jesus is the first fruits. The old is passing away and the new is, is being born. And it's being born, you know, not millions of years from now, not down the road, but it's being born today. We can experience resurrection. We can experience new life. We can experience hope today because of Easter and because of what Jesus has done. There's a wonderful kind of a newer hymn that we sing from time to time, Gather Us In. And here's some of the lyrics. It says, Not in the dark of buildings confining, not in some heaven light years away, but here in this place the new light is shining. Now is the kingdom and now is the day. And I always want to scream that line. Now is the kingdom. Now is the day. Jesus came to bring life today that continues on for eternity. The theologians call that realized eschatology. It's com- Jesus said, Jesus said, now, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Everything changes when we trust in Christ. And so death is just a continuation of that. Death is just a stepping in to eternity. Life with Christ. Life with God. Life with the Holy Spirit where everything is made right. Every tear is wiped away. That's all possible because of this story, because of Mark 16, because of Easter. So let's, let's dig into this text a little bit and let's see what these women must have been feeling, you know, marching to the tomb that Sunday morning. So... The verse starts when the Sabbath was over. And we have to remember that in the Jewish understanding, the Sabbath was Saturday. So, you know, Jesus was turned over. He was betrayed. He was arrested on Thursday night. He was uh, sentenced to death on Friday morning. We looked at that last week. He was crucified on the day that became Good Friday, you know, that afternoon. And Saturday, compared to the rest of the week, Saturday was rather uneventful. Saturday was this day of rest. But as soon as they could, as soon as the Sabbath was over, as soon as they were able to do this for him, these three women went to the tomb. And that was the custom. That was what they did at the time. And they're walking to the tomb, but they realize this isn't like any other tomb. The Jewish leaders are so afraid of Jesus even though he's dead, so afraid of his followers that they've rolled a huge stone over the tomb and they've put soldiers, Roman soldiers there, 
to, to block it. And so they have this question. How are we even going to get to the body? How are we even going to, to get to Jesus? We just want to embalm him. We just want to, uh, to help his body be preserved. Who will roll away the stone? They ask that question. Who will roll away the stone? And so this stone comes to represent everything that they want. Everything that they, that they want to do. It's the thing that's between them and their duty. Think of all that they've been through that week. You know, watching Jesus come in to Jerusalem the previous Sunday and be worshipped and be acclaimed and then be betrayed four days later. And then to watch him, to watch him die. And then this day of silence, this day of mourning, this day of our dream is over. Think of everything that happened. I mean, you think you had a rough week? These ladies have been through all the ups and downs. And yet they just want to do this, this simple thing. It's part of, their, part of their grieving process to embalm the body of their teacher and their friend. There are always these very human things that we have to do when someone dies. These very tangible things. And that's all they want to do. The idea of resurrection, the idea of Jesus coming back from the dead, would not have been on the radar for them. It would never have crossed their mind. Even though Jesus predicted it, it's, it's the same as us. Most of us have been around bodies who have perished. We don't expect them to rise up and walk again. It was outside of anything that they could have conceived. What they know is that they've got a problem on their hands. That the stone is blocking Jesus' body and that everything has been taken away from them. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. They just want to give their teacher a proper burial. And even that is being denied to them. And sometimes life feels like this. It feels like one problem is just after the other. And even the good things you're trying to do get misunderstood. That's what they're running up against. And yet if we think about that for ourselves, we've all got a stone that needs to be rolled away. We've all got something that's blocking where we want to go, what we want to do. Maybe from going deeper with God or, or from some task in our lives that we feel like God has given us. And so when we have those, when we have those big days, you know, like, like 9-11, or like the day that we get diagnosed with cancer, or the day a relationship ends, or the day we let go from a, a job, we, we really have two choices or what to do with that stone. We can take our little chisel and we can start pounding it. We can try harder and we can do more. Or we can just surrender. We can have open hands and we can say, God, we're going to need you to take care of this. We're going to need you to move. We're going to need you to roll away the stone. Those of us who read the, the Bible in one year will remember this, uh, this uh, symbol. 
But I was reminded this week that the Chinese symbol for crisis contains two characters. One is danger, and one is opportunity. Danger and opportunity come together in any crisis. Anytime we got a stone, that's, that's in the way of where we want to go. So every crisis is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to go deeper with God. It's an, honor, it's an opportunity to get to know ourselves better and to grow, to watch God bring beauty from the ashes of our lives, to watch him redeem, you know, redeem our life. And a lot of times we think that the stone is actually different from what it is. Because we, we run into these problems. You know, stick, stick with me on the, the stone metaphor. People come to me and say, Pastor, I, I need to talk. I'm, I'm at my wit's end. Things are going really tough for me. And my drinking's gotten out of control. Or my marriage is in a really bad place. Or I've got this addiction that I can't shake. Or I'm, I'm, I'm so angry and I don't know why. I can't control it. And so we think that the problem is the anger or the drinking or the pornography or whatever it is. But really, there's a stone beneath the stone. There's something that's deeper. And that's our real problem. So when we walk through these seasons where we're discouraged, where we're suffering from anxiety or depression, we, we don't feel like coming to church, we don't feel like seeing our uh, Christian friends, we don't feel like reaching out. What is the stone beneath the stone? Maybe life just isn't going how you thought. You thought that it would get easier, or you thought that things would be more smooth. And really, I, w- I would challenge you that the, the stone beneath the stone, it's, it's getting at what God are we believing in? You know, what God are we trusting in? Is it this sort of little G God, this watered-down, Americanized God that gives us everything we've ever wanted, this sort of genie-in-a-bottle God? Or is it the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Job and the prophets and Jesus? This God that said, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. He didn't say, I'm never going to let hard things happen to you. He said, I'm going to be with you when the hard things happen. I'm going to be walking with you. I'm never going to leave you. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing. I'll say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing. So a lot of us have this view of God that he's distant, that he's uncaring, that you know, he's there to give me what I want. And that's, that's not God. A mentor said to me, picture God picturing you smiling. Picture God picturing us smiling. And of course a smile is going to come to his face. Because he's looking at his children. If we are in Christ, he's looking at the new creation. He's looking at his son and his daughter. And that's all possible because of this Easter story, because of what Jesus has done in taking our sin upon himself 
and winning the victory on the cross. He's looking at us and he's seeing Jesus. And so, examine the stone behind the stone. Remember that Chinese symbol that it's, it's opportunity and it's danger. How do we, how do we live this resurrection life? How do we go from the old life, these old views of God, this little G God, to walking alongside Jesus, knowing him, living the resurrection life? Well, the angel tells us right here. The angel speaks to us. He's speaking to these women, these first disciples, but he's speaking to us. And he says three things. In verse 6, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be alarmed. Do not be scared of what is to come. They're going to face a lot of fearful things. We know what they're going to face. They're, they're going to go back and they're going to tell the other disciples and they're not going to be believed. And then they are going to suffer for their beliefs. They'll be thrown out of the synagogue. And yet they'll see that Jesus is walking right with them. That he's walking alongside them. That he's not leaving them. And in, in Matthew's gospel, we see that even as they're going back to tell the other disciples, they run into Jesus. They run into Jesus. And what's the first thing that he says? Actually, the first thing that he says is, greetings. Greetings. Which is an interesting way of saying, I just kicked the devil's butt. I just won the victory for all of my people forever. And I'm back. Greetings. But then Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm back. You're going to face all these things. You're going to face all these troubles. But don't be afraid. So how do you live the resurrection life? You don't live it in fear, but you live it in hope. You don't live it in fear of what other people think of you. You don't live it in fear that something bad will happen. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Something bad will happen. But God's going to be with you through it, through the storm. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. I used to, I used to do a lot of work with, uh, with the homeless, and I was speaking in a rescue mission once, and I was talking about fear. You know, perfect love casts out all fear. And one of the homeless guys came up to me afterwards. He said, preacher... Do you know what fear is? Fear is just F-E-A-R. Forgetting everything's all right. Fear, forgetting everything's all right. And if we are part of Christ's family, everything is all right. Everything is going to be okay in the end because we know the last page of the story. The angel continues, He is risen. He is risen. See where they laid him. And he's like, he's challenging the women right away. Do you believe the resurrection? Do you believe what you've seen? And this, of course, is the cornerstone of all of Christianity. If Jesus rose from the dead, then everything that we've been learning in Mark is true. It's true for us today. All the healings that he did, all the teaching, it's all true. Because the resurrection backs it up. 
John Stott, he wrote this about the resurrection. It would be hard to exaggerate the magnitude of the changes that have taken place because of the cross. God's dealings with us and in our relations with him. Truly, when Christ died and was raised from death, a new day dawned, a new age began. Everything's different because he rose from the dead. Every day is, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and we can celebrate that Friday is past and Sunday is coming. And what happened? What happened in the months and years to come? These, these disciples, these unlearned, simple people, fishermen, tax collectors, they took the gospel to the ends of the earth because they had seen Jesus. They saw him. They knew everything that he taught was true. And so those of us who know Jesus, who know he's working, who know that he has rescued us and saved us, we will do the same. And that leads to the third thing that the angel says. The angel says, go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell about Jesus. Go and tell what Jesus is up to today. Go and speak about him. Go with this announcement that he's been risen from the dead. That death has been swallowed up with life. Abundant, eternal life. There's, we've sort of been living in this, this church culture. You know, not necessarily our church, but the capital C church has this idea that we've got to invite. Invite, invite, invite. Invite people to church so that they can hear the experts talk about Jesus. Well, that's, that's not working. That's not what we need to do. The angel doesn't, sell, doesn't say invite, invite, invite. He says go and tell. And we're, we need to move as a church from this idea of, you know, come and hear to go and tell. Uh, because it's not about, you know, getting 200 people in our building to hear one person speak. It's about 200 people going out there into the world to tell, let's say, five people about Jesus. If all of us went out and we told five people our story, that we did, we did so, we talked about the hope that we have in Christ, and we did so with gentleness and respect. 200 people or 200 times five. I'm not great at math, but I think one of those is more than the other. We can do so much more when those of us in the pews go out and tell and talk about Jesus, trained to be a disciple that makes a disciple that makes a disciple. So what if, what if all of us, you know, shook off our fears like these first uh, hearers, these first women, they shook off their fears, they believed in the resurrection, they believed in hope, they believed in new life, and they went out and, tell, and told, go and tell. What if we all did that? What if that was the regular rhythm of our life? We would absolutely turn the world upside down. Everything would be changed. And people would, wouldn't be living these hopeless lives, but would find the true hope of Jesus, the only one that can save us. This is how the Gospel of Mark ends. I wanted to read the final, cha- the final verse for you. So then, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. 
And they, the disciples, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This was the calling of the first followers of Jesus, and it's the calling that God gives to us as well. We need his help, so let's pray and worship. Please join me. Our God and our Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that new life is possible when we trust in you. Thank you that you have rolled away the stone, that we're no longer separate from you, but you have made us one people under one Lord, one faith, one baptism. God, help us to do what that angel told us. Your word speaks today that we'd shake off our fears, that we truly believe in the resurrection. We would believe in its power and that our lives would speak of you, our Savior. God, may your grace go ahead of us. May your grace be poured out upon us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.